This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio, and now in its 26th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. Flying cars were fodder of many a prediction in the 1950s, but now they might graduate from being a pipe dream to becoming reality. We'll have more on that coming up. Chrysler and Jeep haven't been on the forefront of the electric vehicle revolution up till now, but that might change this week. Based on big announcements the brands intend to make at CES in Las Vegas, and we'll give you some details on that. And Happy New Year to you. Uh, It is 2022. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jack Nerad. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris is based at one end of the country, a quite snowy end of the country, I'm told. and I'm at the other one. Uh, a lot less snowy, but plenty rainy uh, this this time around. But uh, Chris, uh, welcome. Uh, tell us a bit about uh, how your new year has opened. I'm doing well, Jack. Thank you for having me. Uh, we had a great Christmas here, survived the holidays, and I've got a, plenty of chances to try out my new electric snowblower, which uh, surprisingly works uh, pretty well. So uh, not too many complaints there. Cool. Is that a battery-powered snowblower, or is it a plug-in kind of model? It's battery. It's a 40-volt system. It uses two rechargeable batteries, and it swaps between my lawnmower and my weed whacker, and it's just a, a big electric ecosystem there. But it works surprisingly well. I was afraid it would bog down, but it's done done very well. Well, there you go. A little bonus test we have here on the show, uh, electric snowblower. Uh, <laughs> Our guest is Kareem Habib. He is Kia's senior vice president and head of the Kia Design Center. Uh, His group was responsible for the Kia Concept EV9, which is a stalking horse for the brand's upcoming battery electric crossover SUV. The woods are going to be full of battery electric crossover SUVs, I can tell you that. And we had a chance to sit down with him and have a nice chat about the EV9, which is a great looking vehicle. He's a really interesting guy, so you will enjoy that. And in the road test segment, Chris, tell us a bit about what you're going to be talking about a little later in the show. I drove the 2022 Honda Civic hatchback. Very exciting. It is exciting. I had a chance to drive the Civic hatchback recently, too, and I I liked it a lot. So we'll see if Chris agrees with me. Uh, My family and I tested the newest version of one of the most venerable and venerated vehicles of the past several generations. And a vehicle that I think uh, Chris Teague loves. It's the uh, Toyota Land Cruiser. And we got a chance to ring it out on several family adventures over the past 10 days. So I'll tell you about that. And uh, Chris, you're probably a little jealous, aren't you? I am extremely jealous, Jack. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Nerad with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jack Nerad back with you with uh, automotive news for this week, uh, the beginning of 2022. Can you imagine? And here is the thing that I I found fascinating, and I'm really curious about Chris's take on this. It is flying cars. The idea of cars flying vertical takeoff and landing aircraft that behave more like flying taxis than any other thing. And um, that apparently is coming. There is a lot of investment, tons of investment in these kind of uh, vehicles. They're kind of a cross between a car and and a light plane. They're just all over the place. Uh, Some of them, I think, will be operated commercially as taxis, and they have 
Um, they carry as many as five people at a time, while others are, are two or four passenger vehicles. Some of them will go as fast as 200 miles an hour, and then some uh, are much slower. What uh, fascinated me, too, is several of them are powered by battery power, which strikes me as very difficult in an aircraft. Uh, for instance, there is one called the Velocity. Uh, it is battery powered and has 18 motors. It's kind of a, like a giant drone. Uh, has a maximum airspeed of 68 miles per hour. You know, that's a, a smaller one of these vehicles. I mean, what's your take? Are we going to see this? Could this be practical? Uh it would certainly relieve congestion, wouldn't it? <laughs> you know, it's interesting to say, I wrote an article on this a couple of weeks ago for Auto Week, and in that I was I projected a lot of skepticism on this topic because, you know, I'm interesting. it's interesting to hear you say that they're, they're going to be used for taxis because if that were the case, then you have a small group of very well-trained pilots or remote pilots, whatever the case might be, who know how to operate these vehicles. But if they're just being made and sold to consumers, I mean, how, who's going to train these people? Who's going to regulate the industry? And who's going to manage cars that are flying around at 200 miles an hour um, in the sky? So, you know, I think that this might be a cart before before the horse situation where uh, industry decides it's going to, to go a certain direction. And then the government and the regulators have to catch up. Hopefully they do it sooner rather than later. Um, but I'm skeptical of this one. Yeah, I'm fairly skeptical of this one, too, although it seems like billions are being invested. And, and by companies that, uh, you know, are... Are very well established. Embraer, who makes uh, you know uh, commuter aircraft already, uh, Airbus that also makes aircraft. Some of these are just four seaters, and you know that seems a bit small for for taxi use, right? I, I guess it's about the size of a Prius. I'm just kind of curious as to how this uh, will un unfold going forward. With the amount of investment here, several of these vehicles are definitely going to come to market, and then we'll just have to see. Uh, <laughs> what happens next? Yeah, I have no doubt that it's technically possible to build these things and get them into the air. It's just a matter for me of of who's going to you know, manage the, the use of them once they're out in the wild. Yeah, that is such a good point. And uh, I think a lot of people are not thinking about that. But I guess that's one of the reasons why they're being um, touted to be taxis, as you say, with trained pilots, as opposed to just for civilian use. Uh, heaven knows there's enough carnage on the roads as it is, but you throw uh, another dimension at that, uh, and maybe it's uh, much, much worse, right? I hate to see single vehicle accidents from uh, an aircraft, for example. Uh, that wouldn't be pretty. Yeah, I've driven in your part of the country. I don't know if I'd want to trade that for a fleet of flying cars going the same the same uh, frequency of cars traveling in the air as, as on the roads. So. Yeah, I, they would be thick as mosquitoes out here uh, and uh, probably thicker than mosquitoes in Southern California. <laughs> and uh, that that could be a bit scary. Well, uh, CES is going to unfold fairly soon and it, is, it has a, a definite automotive tinge to it these days. We've seen other vehicles introduced at previous editions of CES, which used to be called the Consumer Electronics Show but is now simply called CES. Chrysler is one of them that's going to show something that uh, could be a game changer for the Chrysler brand and maybe for Stellantis over, overall. They have already shown the Chrysler Airflow concept, and now it looks as if they're about to introduce the production version of the Chrysler Airflow. And I think a lot's riding on that. Not only is the, the fact that uh, Stellantis has kind of lagged in terms of electric vehicles, but 
the Chrysler brand just seems kind of stuck in a rut <laughs> and with a, a very uh, odd kind of uh, portfolio of vehicles right now. So maybe this can pull them out of that. I mean, what's your overall take on what Chrysler can do in terms of uh, electric vehicles, Chris? Well, I think they did a, a fine job with the Pacifica hybrid, the plug-in hybrid. I think it, there was some good functionality there. It was smooth operation. So if they can replicate that on a scale of an EV uh, crossover specifically, I think it will be just fine from a functionality standpoint. I think the problem that Chrysler and Dodge and Stellantis in general have is that people perceive them as the sort of old school American brand that makes muscle cars and big cars like the Chrysler 300. So uh, they've got some perception to overcome there. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's probably the big hurdle. I think engineering is there. And as you say, they certainly know how to engineer a plug-in hybrid. And uh, really, an, an electric vehicle isn't all that complicated to engineer. Uh, they're looking to have uh, as many as four different platforms. By they, I mean Stellantis, not just Chrysler. Four different electric vehicle platforms. And of course, Stellantis also builds cars uh, in Western Europe and ar around the world, but particularly uh, Europe. Uh, where there is an even bigger impetus to do electric vehicles. So they're liable to build this on what they call their medium platform, the STLA medium platform. Could have a driving range on a charge of up to 440 miles, um, certainly over 400 miles. At that point, I think electric vehicles become much more practical than before. Um, that seems like... Uh, it bodes well, and certainly it's, they want to compete with uh, vehicles like the Mustang Mach-E, which has kind of had a, a bit of a checkered launch, but uh, certainly a head start over what uh, Chrysler's been able to do here. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see where they go with these four platforms. As you mentioned, they've got a small, a medium, a large, and then a frame, which is, you know, trucks and, and large SUVs. You know, Chrysler makes, what, two vehicles? Dodge makes two, three vehicles. Uh, it'll be exciting to see where they're able to take these platforms and maybe expand those lineups a little bit with EVs. Uh, and one of those, the STLA large platform is the one that they say will underpin their all-wheel drive performance and American muscle cars. So um, I'm excited to see what they do with that. Hopefully they're able to get more mileage out of those platforms then to expand their lineup than they have now. Right. All of the brands within Stellantis are essentially fighting for their lives. Uh, they've been given 10 years to prove their worth. Uh, and maybe some w won't even have that before they're, uh, you know, go over the uh, cliff. Because I don't think Stellantis wants to go forward with the number of brands that it currently has. It, just the marketing becomes very, very difficult. I, I mean, I could be wrong. I don't have any special insight into that. But uh, just logically, you would you would think uh, based on the, the few models that some of the brands have that you just talked about, that they'd want to do some consolidation. There's another vehicle that I'm pretty excited about. It's the Fiat 500. Of course, I've always loved the Fiat 500s uh, through the years. It is a, a classic, uh, certainly. And now they're going to go all electric. Uh, how do you feel about that? I think it's excellent. The 500E that's been out for a while is fun to drive. I mean, it lacks range and it's not extremely refined, but it's fun to drive. It's a very torquey little car. I think, you know, that's the perfect size for the EV platform because of the efficiency and the ability to drive it around in town. And you can get away with a smaller range on some of those vehicles because people use it just for short commutes. So uh, I'm all for it. And I would love to get behind the wheel, though those things rarely make their way up here to the frozen north. Yeah, probably so. I, I, and we're not even sure that we will see any 500s in, in the U.S. or in North America. Although uh, there's some fascinating stuff about it, uh, and it will be launched in hatchback, uh, convertible, and a 
three plus one platform, and that should be really interesting. Uh, you know, three across and maybe a mother-in-law seat in the back or something like that. I'm not sure. So we will see what uh, is announced at uh, CES. Another vehicle I'm pretty excited about, and I'd like your take on that, Chris, is the Grand Cherokee 4xe. Uh, I think that's got a chance, a, a plug-in hybrid version of the Grand Cherokee that uh, we both like a lot. Uh, what's your take on chances of success for that vehicle? I think it has great chances for success. Again, we're talking about a perception issue here, off-roaders not wanting to drive an electric vehicle. But you and I have talked about the Jeep Wrangler 4xe many times. And being able to offer an all-electric range with great torque is excellent for off-roading. Uh, you can get into and out of trouble quicker than you had ever thought possible. Uh, and then you have a gas tank to get home on, so you don't have to worry about charging unless there's one uh, at the trailhead. So I think it could work well. You know, most people, I don't want to say most, many people probably don't take their Grand Cherokees off-road. But knowing that you have that all-electric range uh, could prevent people from having to fill up the gas tank as much if they're just driving around town. So I think it'll be a hit. Yeah, I think so, too. Another uh, concept that I'm eager to see and is the Jeep Magneto. Uh, and it has a, a very uh, innovative use of an electric engine, so, or a electric motor, rather. It's not an engine. It's an electric motor. Uh, and we will see that at CES as well. So uh, a lot coming up from Stellantis. Uh, we'll see what kind of effect it has uh, going forward. Will it save the Chrysler brand, among other things? And when we come back, we will be doing some road tests, including the Civic Hatchback and the Toyota Land Cruiser. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Red with you. Thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris T. Jackney Red back with you. Road test time on America on the Road. Our first road test for 2022. Interesting vehicles we certainly have. An all-new Honda Civic hatchback was in the Teague household. Tell us all about it, Chris. I think the Honda Civic hatchback is going to be a hit, just like I think the Honda Civic sedan will be a hit. And uh, as you say, Jack, it's all new for 2022. Honda redesigned um, all the Civic models. The sedan debuted first a little while ago, and now the uh, hatchback is just starting to hit the market. Maybe a few weeks ago, the first ones started rolling out. Uh, but the model I tested was the Sport Touring trim. It's the top trim for the Civic hatchback. Uh, there are four in total. The LX model starts around $23,000. The Sport starts around $24,000. The EXL just shy of $27,000. And the Sport Touring is just over 29. Uh, and as you can imagine, it's the top trim. It's got all the bells and whistles, which in this case includes a turbocharged four-cylinder engine uh, that makes 180 horsepower. And though you can get it with a six-speed manual, which I find is awesome, uh, my test car had the continuously variable transmission with paddle shifters. And Jack, we talk a lot about CVTs on this show. And I think a few weeks ago, we praised Nissan for theirs. And I have to say, I think Honda did an excellent job tuning this transmission to this car. Uh, have you driven a Honda CVT recently? I have, uh, probably in the same model that you drove in the Civic Hatchback, if I remember correctly. I had an SI that had a manual transmission, but I'm, I'm virtually certain the uh, hatchback I was driving had the CVT. I always find paddle shifters in a continuously variable transmission to be just an oddball affectation. I don't use them. I think, as you say, you know, I've, I've had them in multiple Subarus, and the fact is not convincing for someone who wants to be engaged with their car. Uh, I think that the transmission just isn't all that cooperative with quote unquote shifting because, you know, there are no traditional gears here. So um, I didn't use it, but I do think they did a good job tuning the transmission with the engine. 
there's none of that wailing or kind of mushy feeling when you're trying to accelerate through traffic. Uh, the sport touring trim I, tr I tested came with 18 inch wheels, full led headlights, led fog lights and dual exhaust finishers. And you know, they're calling it a sport model and 180 horsepower is more than adequate for this car. But I think it's, you know, the touring is the, the word you should really focus on here because this car is a comfortable touring car. It's not extremely sporty. Um, the top trim that I tested has leather trim seats, a moonroof, heated seats, uh, Bose sound system with a subwoofer, and it's just all around a very comfortable cruising car. I think that this could replace a crossover for a lot of people and, and give you a little bit more driving fun as well. And uh, so, Jack, I want to get your feeling here. We talk about wireless CarPlay and, Apple and Android Auto quite a bit. That is the big benefit of this this car. And uh, what do you think about wireless? I know we talk about this, you know, at least once a month, but I feel like it's a point to drive home. Honda did such a good job with the wireless integration on this car that literally jump in, throw your phone in the cup holder, and it's connected where, you know, and some others are kind of clunky. So what do you think about, you know, wireless over wired when it works well? I had that exact same experience in the Civic Si that I drove, and I think uh, we talked about on the show uh, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, it was just totally seamless, and that is so wonderful, right? I, no glitchiness. Uh, the only thing you lack, of course, and uh, I have an older iPhone, and I'm always concerned about battery life. Uh, so I like to plug it in just to keep a charge in the phone. So, uh, But uh, for... A quick in and out, like going to the grocery store or something like that, you're immediately wirelessly hooked up. I, I think it's terrific. I agree. And all this runs on a nine-inch touchscreen. Uh, as you mentioned, charging, this, the top trim has wireless phone charging. I will say that my tech nerd self with a larger iPhone had trouble fitting it onto the charging tray. So that might be something if you're test driving the car to check to make sure that your phone actually fits if you use wireless charging. Uh, but you still have a, a USB that you can plug in as well. But the top trim comes with navigation. Uh, it's got Honda's smart entry and walk away with auto lock, which means that you've got the key fob in your pocket. The car will automatically lock when you get a certain distance away from it in a parking lot. And a full suite of safety suite, uh, full suite of safety equipment is on board here as well. The top trims add blind spot monitoring, but all cars get colli collision mitigation, braking, road departure mitigation, uh, lane keeping, and so on. So uh, all around a safe car. You know, I think that the interior is spacious. People are going to have fine, uh, no trouble with that. The kids ride in the back just fine. It's a very well-riding uh, car, very nicely riding car, very responsive. So uh, no complaints here, especially with the added cargo space in back. Well, it sounds terrific. I certainly enjoyed it when I had mine uh, recently as a tester. So uh, I'm right with you on that. I think the Civic hatchback is uh, all new for this year and uh, a terrific value. And I had a vehicle that I think is a terrific value too. And it's kind of amusing to me that my first test of 2022 is actually of a 2021 vehicle. And that's because there is no 2022 Toyota Land Cruiser. 2021 is the last model year. So if you want a Land Cruiser, rush out and buy one because they're not everywhere. That's for certain. And probably worth taking a look at as a family vehicle. It's just amazing to me that this vehicle, which was had its last major redesign in 2008. Think of that. <laughs> Think how long ago that is in car years, right? is still a, a good value and an amazingly comfortable and quiet vehicle. You know, certainly the Land Cruiser name uh, harkens to heavy off-road ability, and this vehicle certainly has it. What struck me immediately, though, was how comfortable and quiet it was. And uh, I think you've driven a Land Cruiser through the years. What's your take on that, Chris? I totally agree. You know, I think you could bemoan the gas mileage or maybe the price, but 
Toyota throws the entire book of features and everything at the the vehicle. It's extremely luxurious and comfortable, um, and it can go anywhere. So, I mean, for me, no complaints. And you know, I'm a big Toyota fanboy as it is. So, uh, <laughs> if I had the money, I would run out and buy one, as you say. Right. Well, uh, one of the things that we're going to be kissing goodbye is the 5.7 liter V8 engine in Toyota vehicles. I think this is the last vehicle in the Toyota lineup that is using the 5.7 liter V8. The Tundra pickup trucks have, have switched over to turbocharged V6 engines. So that is where they used to have this same engine. So there are very few uh, applications of this V8, and it's on its way out. It is teamed with an eight-speed automatic transmission and a very advanced four-wheel drive system that really doesn't take much effort at all. It's kind of seamless to the driver. You don't have to change gears or, you know, use the transfer case or things like that. It has crawl control, uh, turn assist, trailer sway control, so uh, a lot of good stuff. And then this is a super uh, well-equipped vehicle. It, it isn't necessarily as lush as some of the most modern luxury vehicles, and certainly it has a twin uh, in the LX. Uh, I guess it's the LX 550 these days. Uh, certainly the LX is a, a, a close twin of the uh, Toyota Land Cruiser, but uh, a lot of luxury features. I think where it falls down is uh, in tech. You know, we just talked a bit about wireless Apple CarPlay and uh, Android Auto in the Civic. You can't get Apple CarPlay or Android Auto at all in the Land Cruiser. And for some people, I think that's a deal breaker, uh, as weird as it seems. Here you have a vehicle that costs, uh, you know, close to $90,000 list. And it just doesn't have that. And that is an example of how uh, old this chassis is. At the same time, the capabilities are absolutely there. They're very, very strong. All-weather traction. I drove it in rain. I, we didn't have snow in Southern California. I guess we had snow in parts of Southern California, but uh, you know, not near where I live, thankfully. But uh, does a great job. And on highway... Uh, what a sweetheart. We drove uh, several hundred miles out to the desert and back in the Land Cruiser, and uh, the entire family just uh, had, a, had a great time. It was, it was very comfortable. It has a, a kind of an oddball third row uh, that, uh, where the two seats fold out of the way to the side as opposed to any other thing, and that, that seems kind of ancient. Uh, I know you're a third row uh, aficionado there, Chris. So what's your take on the third row in the Land Cruiser versus other third rows? Well, I still think, you know, the Toyota, the third row in the Land Cruiser, let me start over, is only comfortable for children and only comfortable for, only comfortable for short trips even then. I think it's positioned too low to the floor uh, and it kind of sets you in an awkward position even if your legs are very short. You mentioned the fold off to the side thing. That's been a Land Cruiser deal for years and years. Uh, so, you know, the nostalgia hits me hard there, but... Uh, I wouldn't rely on the third row from anything more than just a few short trips around town. Yeah, on the other hand, with those seats folded out of the way, it sucked up a huge amount of cargo. I mean, I took uh, th three women with me. Uh, they were closely related to me, uh, two of my daughters and, and my wife, out to the desert on this trip. And, of course, uh, they don't necessarily pack light. And we had room for tons of stuff. So that was that was really cool. And uh, even though this platform is so old uh, that it's uh, about to go out of production or perhaps already has gone out of production, I still think it's a value. I still think this uh, is so versatile uh, that you can get past things like not having Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, having kind of 
not not the greatest, uh, let's put it that way, that's uh, being euphemistic, about the fuel economy, which is, I guess some would call it deplorable. Uh, <laughs> certainly not great, uh, but at the same time, plenty of power. It's a way to get into a luxury vehicle uh, at not uh, the luxury price you would pay for uh, one from a luxury brand. So I think there's an absolute lot to like about the Toyota Land Cruiser. Um, as I say, get them while they're hot because they won't be around much longer. I absolutely agree. And as I said, I would rush out and buy one if I could. Well, very good. I think that's a very strong uh, endorsement of the Toyota Land Cruiser. And when we come back, we will be doing our interview with uh, Kareem Habib. He is the director of design for Kia and a, a really interesting vehicle to talk about. And that is the Kia EV9 concept, which will soon be a production vehicle in not too long. Uh, and I have a feeling it's going to look a lot like this uh, this been vehicle. So Kareem Habib will be our guest when we come back. Stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Nierad with you. And thanks so much for being with us on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Nierad with you. We are at the Los Angeles Auto Show, and we're, we're so excited to have a guest with us who is, you know, such a talented guy. Kareem Habib is the uh, chief designer for Kia. And you have shown a vehicle that really kind of knocked our socks off here uh, at the Los Angeles Auto Show. Tell us a bit about the EV9. Thank you. Well, the EV9 is um, a concept vehicle for us pointing towards what could be a three-row all-electric SUV. A vehicle about the size of the Kia Telluride, exactly. for example, right? Exactly. It's almost uh, almost exactly the same size. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the Telluride, as you know, has been doing quite well for us. Absolutely. Here. And design is a, a key reason, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was designed in the U.S., actually. It was designed in our studio uh, here in Irvine, where Tom, who's behind us here, is the head of design there. And... Um, yeah, the Telluride's a great car for us. It has done a lot for the brand as well, for the perception of the brand. And as we go towards the EV world, we definitely want to build on that momentum. That's why we wanted to show the EV9. Yeah. Give us, our listeners, a sense of that of the vehicle, of the EV9. You know, what are, what are the important design features about it? And there's, it seems, it strikes me, there's so many. Yeah, the, the, the um, we started this design philosophy uh, that we call Opposites United. Sounds a bit abstract, but it's been basically our way of kind of embracing the richness around, uh, around us in the world. And by that, I mean basically contrast, right? The world is not so simple, not so perfect, and there's lots of messy things around us in life. <laughs> so true. And actually, that's depending on how you see it, there's a lot of richness and a lot of beauty to that. There's beauty to contrast. There's beauty to things that don't necessarily like fit perfectly together. But then when you bring two things that are slightly, you know, contrasting to one another, different yeah. to one another. Well, like a stream in the, mount in the mountains, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, a, a stream is, is actually depth, right? It's flowing and the mountain's uh, static and tall, right? right? right. So they're right. Uh, completely opposite in, in so many ways, yeah. and yet they <laughs> are, are beautiful together. Right. right. I mean, there's a, th uh, there's a, a, um, 
a saying about romance, opposites attract, right? right. So exactly. I, I, you're kind of in the same boat there. It, it, was, it was actually very much based on that idea, right? So um, yeah, we wanted, we wanted to embrace contrast. And that's what you see in the design. For example, um, you see the, the center part, the, the, we call it the fuselage, sort of where the, the doors are, it's quite soft. You know, it's one shape from top to bottom, and it has a pretty low kind of center gravity. And then you look above the wheel arches, and it's very different. It's very edgy, and it has a very high shoulder. So that contrast of these two different volumes, or two different ways of treating things, for us, like you, we wouldn't usually do that, but we tried purposely to do something we wouldn't. And for us, it symbolized the fact that you can be inside, very comfortable and cozy, but you're still protected, and you're still uh, safe. Right. How would you characterize the exterior design? I mean, it, it's it's got an interesting nose. It's kind of uh, really blunt, not necessarily what you would picture as being aerodynamic. True. So, uh, and and then you have you know a bunch of angles as opposed yes. to something that's uh, a bit more organic or, or muscular in right, a, right. in an animalistic kind of way. Yeah, yeah. Talk talk a bit about that. Yeah, we we definitely um, wanted to. I guess the word, we had a few words for us that were uh, guiding us, and capable was very much one of those. And when you, you look at uh, traditional SUVs, you know, um, they, they're very edgy and boxy. And there's reasons to that. Okay, some of them have to do with past and manufacturing techniques, but a lot of it has to do as well with uh, posture and stance and visibility and space inside so we wanted to embrace that kind of authentic SUV character but at the same time we wanted it to be something modern we didn't want to have something retro by any means so that's why I believe there's these two sides to to the concept EV9. Right we're talking about the Kia EV9 that uh, concept EV9 that was shown at the Los Angeles Auto Show. Right. Um, what are what are some parameters that um, are you freed up by by having an electric vehicle versus an internal combustion powered vehicle and all the mechanical components that you have to package and then you have to package the people? Right. It strikes me there's uh, this is kind of freeing in a way and yeah. at the same way maybe you have different constraints. Yes, Talk a bit yes. about that. Well, it is definitely freeing in in many ways. You know, I, I, honestly, I think as well one is is a like um, it's like a, a mental freedom in a way it has it has because it's EV and because we're in a in a kind of an era where we know the meaning of the car is changing suddenly I think people uh, and definitely you know car companies in general are starting to think of cars in a different way so that opens it's like a psychological shift that yeah from a design point of view you probably don't feel like you have to be as evolutionary no, as you were exactly. you know wh when you're typically replacing a vehicle with another vehicle yeah. it's a new design but right. it's right. you have some history there yes right? yes and and also you want to show that it's a new technology right so you want design to be to be the uh, the illustration of what's inside on top of that the fact that you don't have an engine um, uh, obviously frees you up in terms of the length of the hood uh, also in terms of the overhang size you know EVs actually can have shorter overhangs because they don't have the the motor or the engine in front of the front wheel for 
traditional front-wheel drive architectures. Um, inside, you can have a flat floor. So we're able to, to really, and, and you know, you can see it on the EV6, and you'll see it obviously more in the future on EVs. It's just great to be able to go from left to right and front to rear without a tunnel. You feel, you know, you can put your feet under the seat. It's just all these things are really going to, they're going to be these micro experiences, I think, that are going to be really much, uh, much better. Um, and um, also one of the great things when you need batteries is that you need to fit them between the wheels so the wheelbase gets longer. That's also a great thing for us. You know, large wheels, long wheelbase, short overhangs. Right. These are, this is like the Wheels basics. at the corners of the car for our listeners right. who, you know, probably don't grasp exactly what an overhang sorry, is. Sorry, but yes, but yeah, yeah. absolutely true. Yeah. One of the things I'm always fascinated about is it strikes me that uh, maybe you don't need a hood at all, right? I mean, maybe yeah. you, you could have a, a, a completely different shape. Uh, you know, that would be daring, <laughs> way daring. Yeah. Uh, the, the concept EV9 is d daring already. <laughs> Talk a bit about that and, and the thinking well, there. Uh, we, have been, um, we have been thinking about that. Um, but we actually also realized that, um, you know, EVs are not, there's weight that comes with the battery. And in, in crash situations, you do need that distance between hmm. the, the passengers and the front of the car. So for that reason, we it's going to take some time until we're able to really have, let's say, passengers all the way at the front of the car or the driver. And probably until we get to a kind of fully autonomous system where there are no accidents, right? This is basically going to be the big enabler, right? Yeah. I'm not sure I'm going to live to see that. But, uh, <laughs> maybe neither of us will. It's hard yeah, to say. I'm not so sure. Uh, let's talk a bit about the interior. Yeah. Really light, airy, you know, very luxurious, but uh, in a uh, well, you describe it. You're the designer. <laughs> Tell us a bit about the interior. Well, yeah, light and airy. I think is exactly uh, uh, exactly the point. It's uh, it's. Um, that's what we try to do. You know, one of the, the one of my favorite things in the in the vehicle is is the dashboard. Uh, if you saw it, it's kind of a, a, a you know a circular shape, if you will. So what we wanted to do was to have something very light, but at the same time we wanted that volume in front of you that makes you feel safe. You know, having a dashboard is also a psychological kind of physical object between you and the front of your car, right. so it protects you. So that's why we wanted that height and that presence but at the same time we wanted to feel airy we wanted uh, this kind of we have a flat floor and you even have inside that circle you can see the dash from left to right so and a broad display yeah, and, you know yeah. kind of seated above the dash or, or placed yes, above the yes, dash we, we kind of wanted to embrace the fact that you have a screen we didn't want to hide it or try to integrate it in a we want it to feel natural. Let me put it this yeah. way. Well, and it is dramatic the way it's placed, and you know the seating is dramatic. Even even things like the headrests are dramatic. I mean, talk talk a bit about those. The headrest is actually a great thing. That's something we are really working on to uh, to get things like that in production, because headrests. Uh, so for those on the radio the headrests basically are made out of mesh and you, you I'm sure you you know a lot of office chairs have that yeah. uh, today and um, we thought of it as well on the back but sometimes it's not so good to have it on your back because you can get it can be um, 
how do you say, when you get the cold uh, air on your back, it's obviously not so good. And with cars, if you have windows, so, so we decided to leave it only in the headrest. And the reason why is when you're sitting in the third or second row, if you have it, you know, a mesh headrest, then you also have more feeling of space. Right. And that, that, that Even works. more visibility to yes, the rear exactly. passengers and everything yes. else. Uh, it's a three-row vehicle and yes. a, a very flexible, uh, versatile type of three-row. Uh, yes. Tell our listeners about that. Uh, yeah, flexible um, because we feel we can, we, we need to think of using the vehicle not only when you're driving, but as well when you're stationary. And what are we thinking about in this case is imagine a camping situation. We know obviously camping is becoming more and more of a, uh, I don't want to say a trend, it's a, it's a shift. It's a, everywhere around the world, people right. are more interested in that. Of course, COVID has a lot to do with that, but um, that's something that we believe will remain. So we wanted you to be able to fold the, the second row of seats and that becomes a table and you can actually swivel the front seats so you could have basically a living room or a, you know, a, a dining room. Do whatever. a little card game there. Or do a little card game. game. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And then the rear seats yes. also pivot, right? And yes. Tell but a bit about that. The third row pivots from basically facing forward to facing backward. And that the point is, uh, you know, um, kind of having your tailgate open. You can sit down in the back. You can park with your the back of your car pointing towards that lake, wherever you're, you're yeah, camping. Yeah, the drive-in movie. The drive -in <laughs> movie <laughs> a great drive-in movie well. car, right? Yeah. Yeah, terrific, terrific. What is your, um, what part of the design do you personally like the most? Um, there's two things. And, and uh, on the interior, this dashboard idea, this sort of empty circle, I think when I saw these sketches from the, the designer, I thought they were brilliant because they really combine the best of both things, the space that or that volume that you need to feel protected and at the same time lightweight. And I personally love the, the exterior, the side view, the proportions and the, this very strong contrast between the fenders and this, the, the fuselage, the center part of the, the body. I, I mean, as we were designing it, you know, it was it went through obviously a, a quite a few iterations. But um, I'm just obviously not objective, but I'm just very happy with the way it turned out. Yeah, it's nice, and you should be you should be proud of this Thank design. You. It's very very cool. The concept EV9 from Kia. Look for that, all you listeners. Uh, you'll find pictures of that. That's hard to do on the radio. And uh, Kareem Habib, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, what a great guest. We appreciate you being with us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank Stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road. It is listener question time as we sum up America on the Road for this week. Thanks so much for being with us. And Happy New Year to you. Happy 2022 to you. Here is our listener question. It comes from Jamie in Arlington Heights, Illinois. We're looking to getting a new vehicle for our family, and we can't decide between a full electric vehicle, plug-in hybrid, or a hybrid. If it were up to you, which one would you choose? Oh, man. Uh, well, everybody's situation is different for me in Maine, and maybe for you in Illinois. Uh, you might experience some cold weather, and you, you, know, you likely have better uh, charging infrastructure than we have here. But for me, I think an electric vehicle is a little bit more uh, down the road until we are more developed here. I'll say this. If you do a lot of driving, 
and you need a vehicle that you can rely on and refill, recharge quickly, whatever the case might be, um, a, a very nice hybrid vehicle will do that for you perfectly. You never have to stop and charge it. Uh, there's no range to worry about. It all handles itself and you get better gas mileage. If you're doing a little bit of commuting with the occasional road trip, a plug-in hybrid could be a good option for you because you might be able to go days and days or weeks and weeks without ever refilling the gas tank, um, just rolling on the all-electric range. Finally, and if you live in an area where there are plenty of chargers uh, and you don't need to take extended long road trips where you don't mind stopping and charging, an electric vehicle could be a great option, especially with the new crop of vehicles that are coming out. You know, they deliver 300 plus miles of range and the prices are, are becoming slightly more reasonable. But I think that, you know, it really depends on your driving situation, Jack. Don't you agree? Yeah, I do. It sounds like this is uh, meant to be a family vehicle because uh, Jamie mentioned a vehicle for our family. So uh, that throws another curveball at it in that you want a, a vehicle big enough for a family. I would say something like a plug-in hybrid or a hybrid uh, three-row vehicle, and there's plenty to choose from now, and they're going to be more and more and more, uh, would be a good choice. If you can plug in at home every now and then, get a home charger and use the plug-in. Like you say, if you're just doing around town trips, dropping kids off at school, going to the grocery store, doing that kind of stuff, uh, light commute, uh, I think a plug-in hybrid can be a really good solution here. And then if you're going up to Wisconsin or Michigan for a vacation, uh, you have that ability to do that as well. So uh, without fear of uh, range anxiety creeping up on you. So I think that's it. That's our show for this week. Uh, Chris, always great to see you. Happy New Year to you. Let's have a terrific New Year on America on the Road. Thank you, Jack. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and Happy New Year to everyone. I will say, if you like what you heard and you want to hear more, head to sportsmapradio.com and click on our show on the Saturday schedule. You can hear our podcast and download episodes to take with you anywhere you go. Absolutely. We'd love to have you at any time just listening to Chris Teague, uh, who didn't reveal that he's six feet tall, but he is, uh, in the show. And uh, so join us again next time for another edition of America on the Road. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. And if you're looking to buy a new car, a used car, just want automotive information, go to DrivingToday.com. DrivingToday.com, where there's a world of automotive information for new car buyers and used car buyers and just people who care about cars. DrivingToday.com, the official automotive website of America on the road.